Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, September 23rd. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be looking at Digicel's upcoming IPO in New York and trying to figure out what it means for Dennis O'Brien's wealth. We'll also be looking at the decision to move the Dublin Web Summit to Lisbon from next year. What impact will this have on Dublin's economy and its reputation as a tech hub? We'll start with Digicel's planned IPO in New York. Irish businessman Dennis O'Brien will sell more than 40% of his stake in Digicel to raise $2.3 billion. His remaining stake will be worth close to $3 billion. And in a neat manoeuvre, O'Brien will retain 94% of the voting rights at the business. Joining me to discuss the story is Mark Paul, business affairs correspondent of the Irish Times. I suppose, Mark, we should just start by maybe uh, painting a picture of Digicel uh, it was, it's a company that was founded in 2001, began with a, a telecoms license in Jamaica, and it's grown to 31 markets in the Caribbean and, and South Pacific. Yep, it's got uh, it's got 14 million customers. Uh, it's traditionally always been a, a, a mobile company, I suppose. Um, but um, it's really, it sort of hit a little bit of a wall with its mobile revenues in recent years. So what it's doing now is expanding very heavily into fixed line services, broadband, high-speed fibre. Um, it's buying television companies, broadcasting companies, and it's really becoming one of those general um, media and content companies that an awful lot of telcos are migrating into these days uh, across the world. Um, so uh, it's... it's it, And it's been a privately owned company. It was the inspiration of uh, Dennis O'Brien and he's largely owned us, 94, 95% owned us ever since. 94% owned us, yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting that now that he's selling 40% of the company, he's still going to have 94% control. So he's not giving up. Uh, he's not giving up. Uh, a, okay, a, a so tell us control. the genesis of the IPO. Uh, well, the genesis of the IPO is really that Digicel has debts of 6.5 billion now. If you take the cash on its balance sheet, it that's net, dollars. No, that's dollars, yeah. And and if you take the cash uh, on its balance sheet, it's net debt of about 6 billion. Um, it, 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 it needs to grow. It needs to invest. Um, um, and it can't really borrow anymore. Um, um, it's, it's, it's really hit the, the top multiples in that, from that sort of point of view. So Dennis O'Brien over the last couple of years, two years or so, has played the bond markets very well. He's refinanced an awful lot of its most expensive debt at much lower rates. Um, and, and Digicel has really played the debt story now, now it needs to play the equity story. In order to grow, it needs equity. So finally, O'Brien has to sell some of it. Now, I mean, I mean I'm sure he doesn't want, in, in, in one sense, why would he want to uh, to hand over 40% of his company? Um, but uh, it, it, it needs, uh, it's spent about a billion in, in the last uh, three years on capital investment. Um, and it's probably going to spend another billion or two over the next couple of years. And it also needs to put itself in a position where if it needs to raise a lot of money quickly, you know, to fund a very big transaction, for example, um, that it 
it just needs to be able to tap uh, investors and, and equity investors uh, uh, at speed, so to speak. It's got a, a huge competitor now in the space that it's moving into uh, down in the Caribbean, uh, uh, the combination of cable and wireless in Columbus, um, which is backed by other billionaires such as John Malone, the UPC billionaire. Um, so um, um, Digicel needs access to capital. Uh, it can't borrow anymore, so it has to, uh, it has to sell shares. And when is this IPO going to happen? Well, the, the, the price range for the IPO was named on Tuesday. And traditionally, these things tend to happen between seven to ten days later. Um, so it could be next week. There's a sense that perhaps it, 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 it might drag out maybe a couple of days more than that. It could be within the next two to three weeks. Um, it depends on, on whether or not, I suppose, they can, uh, they can convince institutional investors to pay the price range they want to, uh, to pay a price within the range that they've sought. They're looking for between $13 and $16 a share. Um, they base most of their calculations in the documents on fourteen fifty, with the, the midpoint of that. It's ambitious, um, certainly when you see the, um, uh, the, 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 the volatility that there has been in equity markets recently. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it does have its problems, Digicel, in that, uh, you know, the US dollar, for example, all of its debts are in US dollars. A lot of its revenues are in much weaker currencies. Um, um, so one of the advantages by, by listing in New York, actually, is that it gets a whole lot of dollars under its belt that it can use to pay down some of its debt. It said it's going to pay off about $1.3 billion worth of debt. Um, so it's, um, it's, the, 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 the price is ambitious um, um, and, and, you know, the investors won't get control of anything. So really what they're buying into is the Dennis O'Brien story. And, 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 and it's, a, it's, a, it's a statement of trust, I suppose, from investors in whether or not Dennis O'Brien can continue to do what he's done up until now, which is to grow Digicel strongly. Yeah, no, you mentioned they do have some problems. I mean, they've regulatory problems as well. They were, you know, they, they were the guy that was coming in to be a monopoly buster in 2001, but now they're the biggest player in most of their markets and, and regulators are taking a much closer look at their business. They're cutting interconnection rates and so on and so forth. So it's a tougher environment for Digicel now, isn't it? It, it, it is. Now, and the competitors as well have finally woken up to the challenge that they pose. They, they, they have. I mean, I mean, it does have the, you know, the number one position in almost all of its mobile markets or number two in a few of them. Um, now, in fixed mobile, or in fixed line and, and, and broadband and high-speed fibre, it doesn't have the number one position in an awful lot of markets. So that's where it sees the growth. So I think I think they've basically squeezed as much as they can out of the mobile thing, and now it's, now 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 it's fixed line. But yeah, regulators are keeping a much closer eye on it. And you're you're, you're right in with regards to its competitors. I mean, when uh, when he kind of uh, you know launched a blitzkrieg across the Caribbean in in, in the early noughties, um, cable and wireless, which was the incumbent of most of those markets, was basically fast asleep. Um, and cable and wireless now is is uh, has merged with Columbus, mm-hmm. and that's a company that that. Dennis O'Brien wanted to buy, he would only pay two billion for it, and they paid three billion. So it shows how desperate they were to get it. Um, that company is now backed by some very, very wealthy individuals, and he's he basically has to try and pull the same number on them again. In in, in a sense, it's the same big competitor that he's going to try and take share from. Um, but they're they're going to be ready from this time, I think. Um, so it's not going to be as easy. Um, but um, um, he's investing heavily. I mean, he's got you know one of the largest um, 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 fiber to the home rollouts. That's where they, they run the fiber, high speed fiber, straight into the wall of a building and you get really, 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 really fast broadband. Uh, it's one of the largest rollouts of its kind um, um, around, really, um, 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 certainly in uh, certainly in the Americas and, and, and that sort of region. It's it's one of the largest uh, fibre-to-home rollouts going. Yeah, no, I mean, the obvious gap in its Caribbean coverage is Cuba, which is obviously uh, beginning to open up to foreign investment and relations with the United States or thawing and so on. Um, but there's also been speculation about Digicel moving into other markets, the United States and Africa, for example. What, what do you think the chances are of that? Um, well, if it moves into Africa, um, um, it, it can't. Digicel can't actually 
do that without Dennis O'Brien's permission separately. Now I know obviously he 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 he, he controls uh, the company, but Dennis O'Brien owns the Digicel brand everywhere outside of the Caribbean and the Pacific. Now Africa, as 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 you mentioned, there, uh, as you rightly point out, it's 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 it's, it's Dennis O'Brien territory, isn't it? It's a it's it's there's a growing middle class. The the the, the, the economies are, are, are of of a lot of African nations are starting to stand on their own two feet. You've got an awful lot, huge huge numbers, big populations, um, and where you know his his model is always been to get phones into so many hands whether they're poor people it doesn't matter and just get the phones into their hands and you'll get the revenue out of it eventually Africa will be an obvious uh, place for Dennis O'Brien to go um, but uh, or for Digicel to go but it would either have to pay uh, uh, Dennis O'Brien a, a, a fee to do so um, or, 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 or he could do it separately he could launch another Digicel uh, mm. of his own to go into Africa so, that, so it's interesting there the Americas um, um, any talk of, of, of Dennis O'Brien in, in certainly in North America and the USA has always been focused around diaspora um, and <laughs> you know he has he um, he's invested in a lot of um, sort of related businesses like like mo- like money transfer businesses um, 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 immigrants sending money home to their their home nations in, in in the Caribbean and so on but but Africa certainly is a, is is a, some countries in, in particularly northern Africa he has certainly run the rule over in the past Libya for example and um, before uh, everything went belly up in Libya Libya was a country that he looked at quite closely and um, he had even looked into doing a, a, a joint venture with uh, uh, with one of the state telecom companies there so it's uh, he's certainly interested in it yeah, no, I mean, it's an extraordinary trick to be able to sell more than 40% of the equity in your company while retaining 94% of the control. Tell us how he's managed to do that. Um, there's two classes of shares uh, going to be in this in this list of Digicel. Class A shares, which ordinary punters and, and so on can buy, and Class B shares, which only Dennis O'Brien owns. The Class B shares have 10 times the voting power of the Class A shares, um, but they have the same monetary value. And you think to yourself, well, how is that? Because Class B shares are only Class B shares if Dennis O'Brien owns them. Once he sells them, they become Class A shares. So, in a sense, they have the same monetary value. They have the same value to anybody else. Um, now, he'll, he will retain about 60% of the company if this IPO gets away. He's locked in then for six months. Um, he can't sell any shares for six months. And he may not want to sell any shares after six months. But he could, if he wanted to, dribble down some of his shares over time if he ever needed to raise money for this, that, or the other. Uh, he, could, he, could, he could sell some of his Class Bs onto the market. They would become Class As. Um, and, and, and he would have a value. One of the interesting things, I think, about this whole transaction and the whole situation is that uh, it puts now, if you get to the way the price range that, that they're aiming for, it puts a firm valuation on probably the biggest chunk of Dennis O'Brien's personal wealth. Um, so for, what's it going to be worth post this IPO? Well, we know what his Digicel stake is going to be worth. Uh, close to $3 billion. Um, that's what it'll be worth to him. Now, Forbes have him down as being worth $6.5 billion at the moment. So take the $3 billion or so off that. Are his other investments really worth $3.5 billion? He's got Sideserve, Topaz, uh, Beacon Hospital, a lot of property. News and media. Independent News and Media, uh, property investments. Would they total the three and a half? Perhaps they would. Um, but you know, it's not just uh, it's not just the value of a stake um, that he's done well out of uh, with Digicel. If you look at, I mean, the, the the dividends that he's taken out of the company in the last three years, one point one billion dollars. Yeah, let's just go through some of the key numbers because it's not just a dividend. As you say, one point one billion dollars in the past three years. Island Capital, his investment vehicle, gets a half million dollar annual management fee for advisory services. It also gets zero point five percent of the value of any transactions for which it's engaged. Uh, last year, it received twelve million dollars in such fees. Digicel pays O'Brien eight point seven million. 
million annually for the use of his private jet and a division of Sightserve. His engineering company has received $26 million in fibre rollout fees. I mean, it's an extraordinary cash cow for Dennis O'Brien. It is. I mean, these are all listed under related party transactions uh, in, in, in the flotation documents and you wonder how investors will uh, uh, will take to this sort of thing. It's really, if, if, you, can get, if you can get all of this through and, and investors are happy to buy shares on that basis, well, you know, clearly they believe in Dennis O'Brien and what he's doing. But he's, he, you can see how he's been planning this for a long time. I mean, these related party transactions have been, have been set up for quite a long time. He also owns the brand as well, which I think is is, is, is part of the same strategy. He's ring-fenced an awful lot of the value in one sense for himself and he, he might argue it's his company. He set it up. It's his success. He's entitled to benefit from it. Um, but it's going to become a listed company now and they're going to have to keep investors happy. Even if he has control with 94% voting control, um, you know, uh, there, will, there will be an awful lot more scrutiny on him now. I mean, he's used to uh, to, 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 to chairing a PLC, of course. Uh, he's done it before with ESAT. Um, but, um, a long time ago. A long, long, long time ago. Um, um, but... Um, 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 you know, it's uh, he's going to have to keep his investors happy. He's going to have to show that it's not just there uh, to personally benefit him, of course, and, and, and of course it isn't. And how he's going to have to do that is through producing financial results. So the pressure mm. will be on him to And the most recent results show a net loss, don't they? They do show a net loss. Now, to be fair to Digicel, if you stripped out the currency uh, uh, impact, the impact of the strengthening dollar, um, the company's revenues and, uh, and so on are growing. But the pressure is going to be on it now um, for it to grow profits. Um, it's investing heavily, so you're going to, you have to you have to sort of assume that within a couple of years those investments will bear fruit that you know people will be ordering high speed broadband all over Caribbean and the Pacific and that you know his media companies his television companies and so on that he's that, he, that he's using to pour content down those high fiber lines that that'll pay off and um, so the real bet is um, what investors really are buying into is um, um, I suppose the, the the ability of Dennis O'Brien to do what he, to, to, to do what he says he's going to do and and the ability of these massive investments that it's making to pay off down the line and, and for the business to start throwing off cash and uh, so he'll, uh, he, he'll really have to produce Right, Mark Paul thank you for that At Irish Life we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow they don't have a pension plan we can help you help them because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Now to the breaking news today that the annual Web Summit Expo is to leave Dublin for a new home in Lisbon. Joining me in studio to consider the implications of this is Kira O'Brien, the Irish Times resident technology reporter and a veteran of many of these Dublin Web Summits. Kira, thank you for joining us. Why has founder Paddy Cosgrave decided to move the summit to Portugal? Well, the exact reason we're not really sure. I mean, there's a few things going on here. Obviously, last year there was all the kerfuffle over Wi-Fi access, but there's been talk of a, a few issues that have hit the summit from the kind of the infrastructure side of things, the Wi-Fi to the fact mm. that hotels are 
expensive and not as plentiful in Dublin as they would be elsewhere. And issues around public transport, I think, as well. Exactly, yes, that, that we're not as well served as other European cities. Now, I mean, the first two, to be honest, I think anybody who's been to tech conferences, uh, regardless of where they are, knows that Wi-Fi is always an issue. Um, I haven't been to one tech conference where I can honestly say that Wi-Fi has worked consistently throughout. I take it at last year's conference, it was particularly bad around the main stage area. But, you know, this is not something that would kind of wouldn't be very surprising. Hotels, that's another thing. I don't think that um, the hotels are going to be any cheaper. Um, if you look at any of the tech conferences, CES, for example, did a quick experiment today. Now, where's that on? Tell CES, us about CES is on Las Vegas every year, January for it's four or five days. We all go out by see all the, the stuff that's coming up for the year. Um, you can get a, a hotel, one particular hotel, which will remain nameless. Um, it's thirty six euro the week after CES. The same day the the during the conference, it's three hundred and twenty three. That's thirty six euro oh. for a room. For a room per night. Per night, yep. And then it go it jumps on the, the week following the expo. Yeah. Same day. So we, what I did was I looked at the same day, you know, because obviously weekends more expensive in Vegas. Mm. So we looked at say the Tuesday and the Wednesday, thirty six euro each night, three hundred odd the week before because CES is on. So this is not something that's limited solely to Dublin. Obviously, the, the transportation issues, that, that's another thing altogether. I mean, mm. we're a city that doesn't even have a rail link to and from the airport, which is obviously, that's a big issue. Um, there's also some talk around the state supports that might be there, that maybe that the Lisbon is giving a bit more than um, we might that they, they might be getting in Ireland. Uh, we don't know because they're not actually commenting on any sort of financial incentives that may have been offered. I have asked the question and that they're just they're, they're not mm. willing to comment on it. And that's fair enough. That's that's entirely their business. Whether or not it's going to leave a massive hole in Dublin's tech industry, that's something that people can't really agree on. Uh, and I can see why because the Web Summit has grown so 2010, that was it was 500 people or less. Um, it grew to, I think it was over 1,500 the following year. Uh, last year, it was 22,000. So it, it's grown quite quickly. And this year, because it's going to be on in, in November, early November this year in the RDS again. Yes, and it's I think it's over 30,000 they're targeting this year. Now, when they move to Lisbon, apparently the venue that, that they're moving it to has the capacity to take that even further. Um, anybody who went to the Web Summit last year would know that it, it's become quite spread out. Uh, it's spread between different halls in the RDS and even kind of getting your way around it was a bit of a, a trek. Um, I think that obviously the move to, to Lisbon would give it room to grow beyond possibly what it could do here without them taking over half the city. Um, it will be a loss to startups in that Web Summit was used by a lot of startups to meet potential investors. Now, I've been talking to a few people today just regarding what they think about the, the whole thing moving outside of, of Dublin. Uh, from a startup point of view, yes, it will make meeting investors that bit more difficult. But as somebody pointed out, um, the idea of, of a startup going to something like the Web Summit without any idea about who they're going to meet or any kind of investors lined up, the idea that you would just suddenly meet an investor there, that's not going to happen to everybody. Yeah. You know, okay. so now, do, do we have any sense of how many of the 30,000 are a domestic audience and how many are international? I wouldn't be 100% sure of that. There, there is quite a, a, a hefty number of people that are coming in, all right, but I don't know the exact breakdown. Okay. 
What's the big hoopla? I've never been to a web summit. Tell me what the big hoopla is about uh, the web summit. Because it strikes me that the Dublin Horse Show is held in the RDS every year and that goes on for five days. They have 100,000 people attend that. Uh, and there isn't half the publicity uh, for the Dublin Horse Show that there is for the web summit. Well, it's a bit of a feel-good event in that obviously Ireland is trying to pitch itself as a tech hub. Dublin in particular is trying to pitch itself as a tech hub. So to have a successful tech conference run every year at the size that the web summit has become, that's obviously a, a, a bonus. You get people coming in who you wouldn't normally see in and around Dublin. I mean, this year they've got um, Oculus Rift founder Palmer Lucky coming in. You know, they, they, they've had uh, Elon Musk, who actually, I think he drove it up to the stage in one of his cars, uh, in a Tesla, which, you know, I mean, it's it's the kind of the, the show side of it, you know, and for people actually going to the Web Summit, the idea is that you can actually rub shoulders with investors and the kind of the tech elite that you wouldn't normally see, you wouldn't normally have access to because these guys are international, they're in Silicon Valley. They don't tend to come to Dublin on a Saturday night. Um, and a lot of it would have been around, you know, the, the, the social side of things afterwards. I mean, the amount of people who would tell me about who they've been out on a pub crawl with the night before um, you know that was the kind of the, the the draw of the web summit was that these people aren't locked away in a VIP area well there is a, a VIP kind of room um, but they're for the most part, they're actually on the floor. So if I went to the web summit, just as an ordinary punter, I could rub shoulders with all of the uh, greats of the tech world. That's the idea. And yeah. all I of mean, them would uh, be happy to chat to me Well, I coffee. suppose some would be happier than others. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 not as if they're, they're kind of shut away in a, a, a big okay. VIP room. They're any, there. Any sense of the cost of the Irish economy of losing this event? Well, according to Board Falcher, they were estimating that last year the web summit was worth about $100 million to the economy. Um, that's a fairly hefty chunk of money to lose but there is the optimism there that once the web summit is gone that other events will f- take its place um, and particularly mm. when it comes to the startup side of things that more suitable events will, will take their place so it will actually provide better opportunities for startups I mean there's you know obviously it is going to be a loss I mean nobody is saying that you know we're not going to feel it but I'm kind of, you know, there is the, the, the kind of thing that is a uniquely Irish kind of event and it would be interesting to see how it uh, translates to a, a completely different culture, you know. Mm. So. Sure. And was the Irish state offering incentives for the summit to stay here? Uh, I don't think that question's been answered at the moment. Right. And have they in the past? I mean, has the IDA or other state agencies, Board Fauci, etc., have they offered? They have supported it. Um, I think that's that's fairly out there uh, over the last couple of years. They, they have put some money into it. Just, I mean, they would have stands at it, so they would obviously be paying for that. Um, but as to the extent of their support, that's not 100% clear yet. And tell us about Lisbon, and is that a tech hub? I mean, we know about the Googles and the Twitters and the Facebooks in Dublin. What about Lisbon? It is being seen as an up-and-coming tech hub. Um, I think possibly having the Web Summit there will give it a boost. Um, How much of a boost we'll see in a couple of years' time. Um, It's Obviously, we have the the big guys here. Ireland has things going for it that aren't just the Web Summit. I mean, when you have the, the likes of Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Dropbox, all these tech companies coming, setting up their European headquarters and European operations here, that attracts more people in, you know, it, it's, it generates a, an ecosystem that while the Web Summit is, is a great event, it's the Web Summit isn't responsible for Ireland as a, or for Dublin as a tech hub. And I think that we probably do well to remember that. And, you know, while we're all beating ourselves up about losing an event of that size, you know, life will go on. And do we know, is it going to Lisbon for one year or multiple years? I think it's three years. 
three years. Okay, so it could com- conceivably it could come back to them. Well, that has been mentioned by other people that we could win it back, but you know, I think that would be entirely a matter down for their, their organisers whether or not they want yeah. to bring it back to Dublin. I mean, because the same problem, uh, you know, the, the, the transportation problem isn't being solved anytime soon. It's not going to be solved in three years' time. Right. And Paddy, Paddy Cosgrave and his co-founders have obviously made a lot of money out of the web cinema. It's been very good for their careers. <laughs> um, they've quite a substantial operation here in Dublin, don't they? A hundred odd people. They employ 130 people. Those jobs are staying here. You see... They don't just do the web summit. They have conferences all over the world. They have collision in um, collision in Vegas. They have Rise. It's in Hong Kong. So you know, it's not just about being in Dublin and, and running a conference in Dublin anymore. They've kind of branched out from that, and they did two conferences in Belfast earlier this year. Um, kind of a money conference and event conference. All. Okay, Kira O'Brien, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Mark Paul and Kira O'Brien for their contributions. Sinead O'Shea was the producer and JJ Vernon was the sound engineer. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.